So this is the uh, the I don't know second or third or fourth iteration of the inaugural uh, podcast of the crux of the matter. I am your host Todd Peppercorn, along with my uh, colleague and friend. What's your name again? Scott Stigmeyer. Oh, that's right, Scott Stigmeyer. Yeah, that's um, so uh, what? Uh, what this podcast is going to be about is basically two pastors talking shop. That's that's our goal. That's our plan. Um, and talking about what does it mean to be a Lutheran pastor in the 21st century? What are the issues that we faced, face? Um, what are the things that uh, draw our attention, give us joy, give us sorrow, and all of that kind of good stuff? Um, and so this is kind of a, uh, a placeholder episode 0.5 or something along those lines. Um, and I, what I wanted to talk about today really was what is at the core of Christian ministry? What does it mean to be a Christian minister or a Christian pastor in the 21st century? Um, there are a lot of different models for uh, for what it means to be a pastor historically and and certainly in our day um, but what does it what does it mean to be a Lutheran pastor today kind of what do you what do you spend your time on what do you spend your energy on what are people's expectations I think we can handle all that in half an hour don't you yeah. think oh sure yeah uh, that should be no problem um, I will uh, I will start off just to get us get us ruminating on this a little bit, um, and for those of you who don't know me, which is probably most of you, uh, I'm a Lutheran pastor in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, I'm a pastor in Northern California, a community outside Sacramento called Rockland. Uh, I've been here for about three and a half years. Prior to that, I was a pastor for a dozen years or so in Wisconsin. Um, so I've kind of been in the Midwest. Midwest world with a school, and now I'm in a uh, in a suburban city environment as well. Um, what I end up spending most of my time with here, as I kind of look at my schedule and world and stuff, is either uh, preparing for classes, recovering from classes, or um, or dealing with. Uh, crises in some fashion or another, oftentimes family crises. Um, if I were, t I, I, I've never sat down and kind of done a, an hour by hour tick, but I don't think a week goes by that I don't have some sort of impending family disaster that I am, I am trying to provide care for in some way or another. And what that care actually means is actually very difficult to figure out because, you know, I'm not really a counselor, um, and I'm not a and I'm not a Buddha. I don't I don't simply give advice. So, what it seems like is that people recognize that something's not right. I need help, and you're cheap or free, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a callous way, but. But really, as a we're desperate, we need someone, and we don't know where to turn. Can you help us? And that's kind of how it uh, how it comes down. So I'm always drawn or pulled between my desire to 
study God's word, prepare and teach God's word, and enter into sort of um, crisis management or crisis negotiation with people in different ways. And that's a pretty big um, that's a pretty big pull in many respects. Do you find things that are uh, are the same where you are, Scott, or do you have a different perspective on? It? Yeah, I totally agree. I, um, you know, it does seem like a lot of what we do is uh, a crisis management for people, or people do bring their burdens to us. And you know, on the one hand, because we're confessional Lutherans, and because of our various our, our formation, you know, we are very, of course, cautious to point out we're not psychologists, we're not counselors, we don't provide therapy. Um, you know, it, we're not medical professionals and, um, many people need medical help. Many people need, um, professional counseling help and they may turn to us because we're an easy and inexpensive alternative or because they simply have a distrust of a stranger, whereas there's a trust built up with us. But I, I tend to think though, that's okay because, um, you know, when I read the gospels, I, I think the best place for us to start to understand what it means to be a pastor is just to read the Gospels, to see what the ministry of Jesus was like. And if he's the good shepherd and we're his under-shepherds, his, his, his life or his ministry was constantly interrupted. His teaching ministry was constantly interrupted by people with illness, demon possession, and other and temporal cares. And... Um, he didn't consider that to be, uh, doesn't give any indication that he considers that to be um, a distraction from his true purpose, which is to simply teach. He could have, but healing and uh, exorcism and even at times advice giving, what we might just say is sort of ethical instruction is what he does. And so I, I you know, I, I tend to think that that fits somehow as long as we can make a distinction between someone receiving psychotherapy and um, theological pastoral care. Uh, and that's the struggle, you know, is because the behavioral sciences and the um, social sciences have overtaken seminary education that, you know, we're kind of rebounding off of that. But I think we just want to be careful that, you know, Jesus himself was frequently put into the same position we are where people just simply need to unburden themselves. Now, he had the ability to heal, and, 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 you know, but, but we're an extension of his healing ministry in some sense, if not in the, you know, literal laying out of hands and miraculous healing sense. But in some sense, we, I, I would, I would tend to think that, you know, that, that we have to see our ministry as both, um, you know, it, to be Christ-like is to be word-centered and to be miracle-centered right. <laughs> or healing or, or, you know, I mean, to care, not just healing, but caring for the needs of people. You know, he fed the hungry. Um, he didn't feed every hungry person in the world, you know, but those concerns who were pre presented before him, his parish, so to speak. We might uh, call this um, a, a theology of interruption. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, right. I mean, I, I'm like you. I'm kind of a bookish guy, and I would love to spend the majority of my time, and I probably do spend a great deal of my time, if not the majority, studying and teaching in some fashion. And I like that. I, I enjoy it. And that's where I feel maybe most at home, 
personally as a human being. Sure. But I also, you know, like I said, I, I, I try to just remember, okay, well, Jesus was often being, you know, unanticipated. You don't have people with a, a, an appointment calendar. You just say, hey, Jesus, help me out. Right. Have mercy on me. Right. right. And sometimes, it, sometimes he needed to step away from that. I just think there's a lot in the Gospels. I mean, I, th- I expect in our course of these podcasts, we'll be returning to the Gospels as a, a helping as a format or model, if you will, for understanding what it means to be a pastor. Sure, sure. Well, and here's um, here's here's where where I'm uh, thinking about this theology of interruption. Um, tomorrow, I'm teaching a class on kind of an overview of Buddhism. Um, this is a, I do a world religions class once a month, and and so we're kind of picking one world religion and looking at, it, and it is a fifty thousand foot overview. You know, kind of what is Buddhism? What's the difference between historic Buddhism and Zen Buddhism? You know, just very big, broad strokes. And Buddhism, in many respects, is defined by uh, suffering and detachment. What is it? Uh, there is suffering. Um, suffering can be removed. Suffering can be eliminated by because the reason we suffer is because we are overattached to the world. Um, and and it has just really kind of knocked me over that what what is at the bottom of Buddhism is a detachment from the world, a removal from the things and cares of this world. Not in a um, heaven is my home sort of way, but very practically it almost ends up being uh, a, a callous sort of detachment. So that you find in countries that are predominantly Buddhist, they have an extremely high poverty rate, for instance, because um, uh, it's it's culturally or philosophically or religiously not a part of their makeup to care for the body. And and when I think about this these interruptions, I think of the uh, the teaching of the scriptures, the the confession of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, but that that that, that forgiveness actually has consequences in in sort of real life and how do, how do I interact with people? Well, a part of what that means is because I am of infinite worth um, that our Lord died for me, that also means that my neighbor is of infinite worth, um, both to him and to me. And that, and that really changes how, how I, as a Christian, think about those around me. Um, so it just fascinates me that that, that that is typified so much by the, um, by the theology of interruption, that we are, uh, that we are constantly sort of bombarded with life, not as we wish it was, but as it actually is in yeah, these nice. worlds. Yeah, that's a good insight. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about this before uh, privately that, um, and I've mentioned that, you know, I, I, I like to, I'm no expert either, but I like to study world religions and philosophy. And, and um, there are aspects of Buddhism, or at least my understanding of aspects of it that sound similar to what um, Christianity says, you know, like a, like not loving this world, you know, I mean, it it sounds similar. I think there's a, I think there are probably, I I know there are profound 
differences. But, um, but you know, there's is, it is intriguing that our ministry is very this worldly. It is also to point people towards eternal life and towards the unseen, right? Yes. But but not by um, renouncing the scene or right. entirely. Or you know, in Buddhism, you've got kind of a you know the material realm is to be. Uh, transcended. Yes. Whereas in Christianity, the material realm is entered by transcendence. You know, right. Is, 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 Not is, the other way around. Yeah. Right. Unseen mm-hmm. doesn't mean doesn't exist or right. or is irrelevant. It right. means it means hidden. Yes. And no, there like is that. a huge huge difference there. So as as uh, we as pastors um, move forward with bringing the gospel to people, which is which is the word, um, which is the word made flesh, which is our Lord, and that and that takes on flesh and blood in the Eucharist. Um, that is incredibly concrete, and it means entering into and being interrupted by the uh, the things of this of this life. Now, how, and, and of course, a part of that I'm sure has to do with. What is the purpose of the things of this life? Do the things of this do the things of this life um, are they there for ourselves? Are they there for the good of our neighbor? That's you know that's a, an underlying difference too. And I don't want to make this podcast about Buddhism, but um, but it it has really struck me that that is a profoundly different approach to uh, to the to the care for others, right. And, you know, speaking about this hidden life, I just looked up Colossians chapter 3, if you'll indulge sure. me. Um, verse 1 and following. If you then have been raised with Christ, okay, that's talking about baptism, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, so it sounds like kind of a Buddhist sort of... Yep, detachment uh, kind of language. Yep. Uh, I, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And, of course, I think Romans 6 informs us that Paul's talking about the baptismal regeneration. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So, you know, when, and then he says, finally, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, you know, there is um, the, the life, the spiritual life, is for us very much a hidden thing. And but but not that it's going to remain hidden or that its hiddenness is essential to it. It's just that temporarily, currently, as these things are being the drama is sort of playing out, it is hidden to us. And so we do kind of have this, you know, look at the higher things or the things that are not on the earth. And it sounds a little bit like a Buddhist detachment, but really, you know, it, it's not so much that our, we're going to leave the material world and our bodily existence behind, but that those things are going to be caught up into the divine. And we're still waiting as that goes on. It's it's just an interesting tension. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, and again, very concretely, when you look at uh, uh, the original Buddha, um, you know, he's a, a a Hindu Royal. He's a, he's a Hindu. He's a, um, a part of the upper caste. um, And he leaves his wife and daughter to to go on a seven year uh, journey of spiritual enlightenment, and so his detachment 
literally means detachment from the things of this world, namely what God has joined him to. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to pick on him, but, uh, but that, that kind of typifies what you, what you see and, and the tension that we face as Lutheran pastors to, um, to, to let these interruptions be seen as, you know, trying, uh, is, is keeping me from my real purpose and, um, and, forgetting that my real purpose is actually delivering Christ to those people who are wounded and in need of his mercy and care. And, and uh, that may not appear where you first think it will. Yeah. And you know, we want to, we want to announce that Christianity affirms the goodness of the, of the created world, the goodness of the material world, the goodness of our bodily bodies, even though they, as uh, corrupted by the fall, are susceptible now to decay and corruption and, and even death. But the way to deal with that, the way to minister to that, is not to simply kind of, in a Mary Baker Eddy kind of way, say, we're going to go just focus on cognitive things and be very academic and, and platonic. But no, I mean, th- we're going to go to the bedside. We're going to hold the hands of our parishioners. We're going to, um, you know, speak words of comfort to them. We're going to, when appropriate, uh, give them the body and blood of Jesus. And this isn't just to heal their broken heart. It's also to ultimately raise them from the dead and heal their broken bodies, mind, body, and heart and right. soul. Right, right. And that... Um I think that is the uh, that is the crux of the matter yeah. for us as as Lutheran pastors is that ministering, caring for the whole person means bringing the healing body and blood of Christ to a dying world, to a, a broken and wounded world, a world that is turned in on itself. I'm not. I don't want to make this into a sermon. Um, but if you want to give me an offering, I'm okay with that. Um, but a world that is turned in on itself so that it, it can't, it can't see God and can't see each other. Um, and that's, that's what the balm of the gospel brings is that, is that life. Um, now as a, uh, again, as a pastor, I think that that is sometimes very difficult to see when you are in the trench of this. Um, and one of my, uh, one of my desires with this podcast is that, uh, is that we use this as a way of encouraging our brother pastors in, in their work, in those trenches, that that is, um, let us not grow weary in doing good as uh, St. Paul reminds us in Galatians six. Um, but that, that, that that work, hidden though it may be, um, un, unseen, probably, or maybe often unthanked, um, that that is actually how God is at work in the world, um, bringing people new life, which is a pretty cool, uh, it's a pretty cool gig, if you think of it, that we actually get, uh, we get paid to do this. I, I kind of can't believe that oftentimes. Yeah. So, um, you think that's enough on that? I think, I, I, I'm comfortable. I'm, all right. Yeah. I think we, I think we kind of got that. Um, one of the other things that we have, uh, toyed with, 
Toyed with trying to do near the ends is is asking the question either of what are you reading or uh, what's bringing you joy. Yeah. Um, I am really having a lot of fun right now in preparing the sermon for this for this Sunday. Um, I'm doing the uh, uh, I'm I'm doing the Epiphany two reading from series B, which is uh, John one forty three to fifty or fifty one. It's a call of of Philip and Nathaniel. Um, and, and, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's having, I'm having a good time with that. Sermons sometimes are more work than other times. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're joyful. Sometimes they're painful. Um, and, uh, and this time it's, uh, it's joyful. It's a, it's a good thing. I think it's asking some, uh, I think it's going to ask some good questions that are going to bring help. So that's the sweet spot, isn't it? You know, in sermon preparation, it can become sort of a routine or it can be even um, painful to try to pull out insights of some texts. And um, But when you can have that moment where you're finding yourself kind of charged up a little bit because of the text and because of, you know, the applications that you're finding, that um, that's really the sweet spot, I think, for a preacher. When you can find the, the text itself um, energizing you and giving you joy then you know, you know, God willing, by the power of the Spirit, that that sermon is going to also, I think, minister to the people as well who are there. Yep. Sometimes, you know, we're trying to struggle, and I believe the Holy Ghost works through the means of grace apart from our own subjectiveness, but still, you know, or for us. Or in spite of. <laughs> often, very often, and I'm grateful to that, actually. I have to give thanks and praise for that, otherwise it would all be destroyed. Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I love those moments where I'm preaching on the confession of St. Peter, which we follow a kind of when we, we use the three year calendar. But whenever there's a minor festival that falls on a Sunday, and unless it somehow interferes with the bigger uh, scope of things, I like to try to observe those smaller festivals or feasts or commemorations. Gotcha. And this was uh, the fest- uh, commemoration of uh, the confession of St. Peter. And um <laughs> So that's kind of been fun, too. You know, you are the rock and the gates of hell will not. This is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So I'm kind of this is one of those texts I don't preach that frequently. And I'm just kind of enjoying the exegesis and taking it apart. And um, Some weeks more than others. But this is a good one for me, too. Oh, good. Very cool. Well, we will uh, we will gather again and do this soon. But in the uh, in the meantime, peace be with you. And. uh, This has been a good talk. Thanks. Awesome.